The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, fellow 20-somethings. It's your girl, Sydney Winter. And guess what? The wait is finally over. Season four of Crying in Public is here, and I'm flying solo for the very first time. That's right, no co-host to rein me in, just me, myself, and the mic. From relationships to careers and all the awkward encounters in between, we're covering it all. So mark your calendars and set your reminders because Crying in Public is dropping its juiciest season yet. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nazi V2 was a rocket-powered bomb traveling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V2 come into existence, and why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, episode two this week of the Weekside Podcast is on, and Jenny, I decided to leave the intro of the show vacant in, in the notes, uh, just to spice things up a little bit. I want to surprise you with our opening topic today. How does that sound? A lot of intrigue and anticipation for what you're about to say. Okay, yeah. Uh, sorry to disappoint you in advance, uh, but I was reading a couple things about where we're going uh, in the NFL, and I think it's more and more likely that we're going to have fanless football uh, to start the season. And so I'm going to ask you like a crazy existential question, which was actually raised by Sam Darnold this week by the Jets, is that what do you do now when there's no crowd noise? How do you run your offense, right? Because it's going to change the way that you call signals theoretically, right? It's going to change the way that things come off the sidelines. You probably can't say things to players that you would say normally anymore because everyone can hear it. Uh, what happens now if, uh, if we play football without fans in the stands? That's really interesting. Do you remember on an earlier episode of the show, I was saying to you that a defensive lineman said that he could actually sometimes hear things that were coming into the uh, opposing quarterback's helmet mm -hmm. that he was yeah. that close so this really like exacerbates that like you can't even assume that the coach to quarterback interaction before the 15 second cutoff is 
uh, is privileged or private or whatever yeah. the case may be. Okay, so you're thinking there's got to be some kind of new code system here. You would almost have to go totally wordless from everybody, right? You would probably have, and and I wonder specifically if that affects teams like the Rams, who were famous for, you know, Sean McVay had that monologue up to 15 seconds where he was essentially diagnosing the defense for Jared Goff before the snap. And how much does that impact a lot of what goes on, maybe some of the rhythms that quarterbacks have developed over time with their coaches? Yeah, and I guess you have to be, if you were using words, you would have to maybe change more frequently. Yeah, all the time, right? Yeah, I, I I guess you have some expectation that the opposing team can hear you say things like green 40, whatever, right? Like normally there's some expectation they're hearing part of what you're saying. I don't know. You know who this is going to be interesting uh, to see how it bounces off of is someone like Bill Belichick, who was notoriously uh, blustery when, um, you know, a lot of the calls were audible during Monday night football broadcasts and stuff like that. Right. Um, he was one of those people that was against, uh, us being able to have that information as the general viewing public because teams could then see it and diagnose it and everything like that. Like, I I don't know. I think that all of a sudden, if you remove this giant noise vacuum, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens to all aspects of this. So do you think hand signals are more prevalent then? I would think so, right? I feel like hand signals are already kind of used, but maybe as a secondary mechanism. So maybe now they would be primary mechanism. This is really a selfish avenue to get into talking about one of my favorite people in the world, uh, former highly successful Eagles coach Chip Kelly uh, and his four picture boards. I, I really want those to come back. Those are some of my favorite things in the universe. The, the picture boards and a lot of quarterbacks in college are used to that, are used to signals coming or pictures coming off of the sidelines. So that could be helpful for those guys to make the transition too. Do you think that this is going to be the biggest sort of uh, change or is this a significant change that we're not talking a lot about because i would guess just as we've covered hundreds of training camp practices where crowd noise was pumped in all of a sudden now how do you practice when everything is in a vacuum you know what i mean and and what changes or alterations do you make to your practice schedule well i'm trying to assess this though connor because if you're playing at home and you're telling your crowd to be quiet when you're on offense and you've got all these signs up i mean i know there's some noise but it it can still be pretty quiet when you're on offense right Mm -hmm. yeah so if anything right it's probably the defense who gets banged more than anybody on this right yeah yeah and i takes away the advantage of of, or it takes away the idea of home field advantage at least in the sense of um at least in the sense of the crowd noise. Now, there's other aspects to home field advantage, like in Gillette Stadium, knowing intimately the wind patterns. And I guess MetLife Stadium to some degree, but it's not quite the same as Giant Stadium when there were all those legends about the swirling winds coming in and out of the tunnels. But um, but yes, yeah, certainly the sound aspect, uh, it eliminates that from any kind of home field advantage. You know, it becomes the ultimate advantage now are the teams with the best in-house DJ. 
all of a sudden his his or her job becomes vital right the what kind of tunes are you playing how how do you know how to pump up your players in absence of crowd noise which they would normally get juiced off of this is going to cause a, you know maybe uh we're going to learn more about the game day dj than maybe we ever have before will the game day dj be permitted to be in the building though mm. like when you're yeah. limiting the number of people who can be there how low do you keep the list forget what the jets the jets always have theirs on on the uh, jumbotron i know his, he's got like a, a name and everything but yeah i wonder what they would do is he is he essential personnel you know right right is uh, i would assume that anyone associated with the game day experience would probably not be essential if there's no fans to have an experience for <laughs> That's that's very true. Um, okay, so we have a great uh, slate of news topics, very diverse slate of news topics, I think, today to get into. But the first one I want to get to, this is sort of breaking news. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday at 2 o'clock, and so I'm just going to get right into topic number one. Jenny, the Rams' new uniforms are in, and they are great. I don't see how anyone could disagree with this assessment. Uh, give me your thoughts. <laughs> All right, so this one you already kind of know where I stand because – in a text earlier this morning, my initial reaction was, when did ombre become a thing outside of hair? I mean, I guess you could say, when did it become a thing on hair? Two to three years ago, maybe, maybe a little bit longer if you're on the hip end of trends. Ombre became a very popular hairstyle for women. You know, darker at the roots, lighter at the at the tips, or whatever the case may be. A little, a little gradient. It seems to be, the word seems to be gradient in the Jersey world, Connor, instead of ombre. So I'm trying to adopt the lingo. Mm. What, what, when did we go all in on gradients, Connor? The Falcons have the gradient. The Rams uniforms, I think, are largely okay, except for the numbers overall, both the font of the numbers and the strange ombre nature of the numbers. I look at gradient the way that a lot of uh, high-profile chefs look at truffle oil, which is that you need to use it uh, very lightly and and in moderation, and you can't get too obsessed with it because if it overpowers the dish it ruins everything i think that the rams jerseys had a healthy uh and moderate dose of gradient okay fair fair enough i liked the helmets Mm -hmm. i just got hung up on the gradient and the numbers overall like i said um i also feel like there's a big effort to make this bone color happen Which is fine. It's somewhat creative, but there is a lot of telling of the backstory of bone. Yes. It's supposed to be the bone of ram's horns, but also maybe the sand on L.A. beaches, I believe I read. Uh, And then there was like a trial run to make sure that bone distinguished itself from other colors. Wow. They've Uh, been thinking a lot about this. You know what I mean? We've heard more about the thought process that has gone into the Rams uniform change than any of the teams combined. That is definitely true. Kevin Demoff, the team president, even read hate tweets about the Rams uniforms. Like, they've really leaned into this. And are they the last ones, Connor? We got this wrong before about the number of teams rolling out uniforms. But are they the last ones to roll theirs out this year? Unless there there is a Colts logo alteration, but unless that accompanies a uniform alteration, I think that is it. Okay. Um, but I, I've not heard any buzz in the uniform world about a Colts uniform alteration. 
I mean, we all know that in the LA market, the Chargers are the little brother, to use a Rex Ryan analogy. I mean, they're really struggling to gain a foothold in the LA market. But the Chargers were the clear winner of this uniform redesign. The Chargers uniforms are flawless. And even if you th- like the Rams uniforms, which you appeared to, Connor, uh, the Chargers are the clear favorite in your mind, right? I think that there's no question they were number one. And I wonder, all these teams are working with Nike, right? You have to have a relationship during this process, and there's a back and forth. And if you're especially two teams competing for fans in the same market, do you think that there was any sort of subterfuge there? Are you wondering what the Chargers are doing? Are you worried about what the Chargers are doing? After the Chargers blow up the uniform-revealing world, was there maybe a little bit of strategy to waiting as long as you did because you knew that you couldn't compare to the Chargers uniforms? I don't know. That's interesting. You do have to time the release. It's kind of like when a coach, or excuse me, it's kind of like when an agent represents both a coach and a yes. player, and you're like, what? How are they navigating this strange dynamic where the agent knows both sides of the issue here? So Nike seemingly in a similar spot. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think they were fine. You know, I think that I was never um, a huge fan of the gold and blue anyway. So I like that they're really embracing that yellow in the royal blue. Although um, I feel like we're also getting a little too royal bluey. Like uh, there's a lot of teams with that as a color option for this year, which might make it seem like a little less cool. But overall, I, I think they were good. I, you know, uh, this is going to be kind of a big plug, but uh, Friday, my official uh, offseason uniform rank rankings will be on si.com my power rankings so we'll see where they fall are they number one no are they number two no but where might the rams land i don't know this is going to be interesting oh fantastic i'm excited to read yeah and i would i agree with you connor i i they needed to redo the uniforms i do think that it's a little bit even farther than royal blue like it's almost an electric blue like these Mm -hmm. the colors are a little bit bolder than just a royal blue and a a yellow. I think they have a name for the yellow. Is are they calling it soul? Is that what it is? Oh. Just trying to yeah. catch up on all the reading here. But we've uh we can expect a Crayola, a Rams branded Crayola crayon called Bone to make up some <laughs> of the lost revenue from fanless games in twenty twenty. You know what the the big lost opportunity here is like like a almost like a green screen type uniform where you can make it change by like the second you know what i mean and you can project like you know from the sidelines or something like that you could make your when your team's on defense they can have flames on their jerseys and when they're on offense they can have rocket ships or something like that you know i I don't think we're that far off from that wow and then you could also change the advertising that gets projected Mm. through the each each company could purchase a different quarter We'll get to more money-making schemes later on in the show. Shall we move to the next topic, Connor? Let's do it. L.A. County issued stay-at-home orders that will extend through July, potentially complicating the off-season plans of both the Chargers and the Rams. Nearly every day, it seems there are real-life decisions being made by people on the ground and theoretical decisions being made by commissioners in their offices. When will those two worlds collide? So, yeah, the issue here is the stadium, which is in L.A. County. The Chargers are in Orange County. The Rams are in, is it Ventura? I'm not sure. They're uh, somewhere north of L.A. But, yeah, the stadium and will there be restrictions that then carry over into August is the question. And would those uh, four home games that 
SoFi Stadium that we talked about on Tuesday's show be impacted by this potentially. Um, so interesting, Connor. I, I think I said this maybe the other show, but I, I talked with team executive last week who said he thought they would the NFL would ultimately have to choose between starting the game at a certain point earlier without fans or waiting a few more weeks and trying to start with fans. And I'm with you, Connor. It seems like we are destined for fanless, some form of fanless football in 2020 or at least reduced fans in 2020. But um, at this point in time, like the, the, the disparities between the States are just going to be very complicating. And there are certainly have been coaches like Mike Tomlin has been said, had said even with, uh, restrictions uh, in terms of opening up team facilities that he thinks the rules should be uniform across the league. And we're potentially going to get to a point where the state's willingness to host games is going to be very different. And, you know, Michigan has said that um, they don't foresee live events, I believe, right? Uh, That was the headline out of Michigan. So there's going to be different states with different rules, with, um, different population densities with different concentrations of the coronavirus outbreak. So I am having a hard time like playing out the scenarios. There's just so many factors, right. That you have to like multiply together and figure out how they end up in this, the final answer. I, um, I, I'm not going to dive too deeply into the politics, but I wonder, you know, how unique the place and time we are, factors in like how greatly that factors into that you know what i mean like we seem i mean we're certainly a divided nation i don't think that that's a controversial thing to say at this point in time but you know it it would also be fair to say that the way that states are viewing um their approach to the coronavirus has largely fallen down political lines do we think that let's say this happened in 2009 or 2002 or 1996 i mean how much different do you think it would be than it is now and do you think that we would have a coherent opening plan if um you know if we had a different political climate or situation that we were living in Right. And I think there are a lot of different pressures from leaders at the state and federal level in terms of what they want states to do. And I think teams are getting pulled in a lot of different ways. Just to clean up what I said about Michigan, it was Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer said, we're not going to be filling stadiums in the fall. So does that mean no crowds at all? Does that mean socially distanced crowds. So again, a lot of different scenarios here. Um, but yeah, it feels like we can't unify really on anything. So the idea of there being a unified plan that would cover 32 teams in however many states there are teams in um, is just kind of hard to fathom at this point in time. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's uh, it's hard to imagine even as baseball – as close as they seem to think they are, you know, one day uh, there's been four or five different versions of their plan that has come to light and floated publicly. And then that was the last we've heard of it and it never happened again, you know? Yeah. We don't know even when team facilities will open back up. And so it's even harder to guesstimate when 
games could be played and if there's another outbreak and if there's a resurgence of it and what that means. Um, just a lot of unanswered questions, Connor. Yeah. Um, so I have a answerable question for you in the next topic, and that is that Adam Schefter of ESPN reported Wednesday that virtual off-season programs will be extended until the end of the month. Uh, what can teams do to ensure that they're maximizing their time, and will this, do you think, benefit some coaches over others? That, and what I mean by that is specifically the virtual learning atmosphere. Do you think that any coach is going to have a leg up or advantage in that way? What would your move be if you were teaching virtually to keep players engaged, Connor? Well, I, you know what? This made me think a lot about um, when the Giants hired Joe Judge, and who knows how, um, how this will come into play, right? I mean, if this is actually going to be um, how he's going to lead the team. But his big thing was teaching, right? And that I understand teaching, and I understand how to impart information. And I know that there is a big sort of trend um, going around from the lowest rungs of college football all the way up to the NFL and studying how people learn um, and adapting to those different uh, things. And so I, I would be interested to see if these coaches who actually do teach things, you know, and they're not just guys who scream at you or, you know, people who just are rabble rousers, but coaches who are actually really good at teaching things, if that's an advantage this offseason where you understand sort of how the human mind and all that stuff gets engaged over a laptop screen or something like that. Yeah, and you always hear with kids that there are different kinds of learners, you know, visu visual learners, tactile learners. Uh, so our, how are teams kind of allowing for that and creating for people to learn in different ways? The other factor, of course, is that this is still voluntary. So you have to be reaching out to your players within the rules of the voluntary offseason program. But, yeah, I would imagine that there are probably some coaches that – are thriving. I'm just trying to think about what would be the most successful if you were a teacher at this point in time. Like you want to, you want to make the, like, I think people get tired of zoom calls. Like, I don't know how you are, Connor. Like I, I had a call this morning and they were like zoom or phone. And I was like, definitely phone. Like I am <laughs> really tired of like being on video with people. I'm zoomed out. Yeah. So I don't know if there's other ways of, of engagement that they could do. Um, I mean, I guess you're, you're dealing with, uh, you know, I still think a newer coach has a harder time because he, he's trying to interact with these people virtually that he's never been in a classroom with. And it's harder to present information that's totally brand new from a distant setting, right? So if you're doing your install for the 10th time, it's a little bit easier to go through than if you're doing an install for the first time. Yeah. Maybe you could do, um, are you are you big into Animal Crossing? Have you played Animal Crossing at all? I don't know what Animal Crossing is, Connor. <laughs> That's like the big, I, I actually don't know exactly what it is either, but it's sort of the big hit video game now where you kind of create your own island uh, and area and you um, you like farm. Uh, it's like a, it's like the big hit of coronavirus, the coronavirus pandemic is Animal Crossing. And so maybe if you're a, a team, you design a version of Animal Crossing where you get rewards and stuff if you, uh, I don't know, learn your plays or something like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, could you input things into like video games, right? Like you heard, always hear that, that sometimes like college kids would input their plays into Madden. Is that still a thing or is this like, is this like 
10 years behind in technology. Every time that I've heard a player say that they've run the team's offense in Madden, I've wondered how like necessarily true that is. You know, I, I don't know how accurate the playbooks were ever at a time, although I stopped playing in probably 2013 or 2014. Maybe it's changed since then, but I never knew how like big of a thing that was, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I did hear one time that there was a coach that was trying to help a player learn the offense through electric football. Oh, I love electric football. But that would not work well distance-wise, maybe. Did you have an electric football set at your house growing up? I did not. We did. We had the Jets-Colts, the Super Bowl III um, electric football set, so it was oh, very cool. Oh, that's a cool. cool one. Yeah, it was a good one. And uh, I, I always remember like the little cotton football that you would uh they would have in the in the noise that it made it sounded like um industrial fluorescent lights but it was good i always liked electric football yeah it seems like it could be a really good teaching tool what was your big um did you have like a, a big video game growing up did you ever like really love playing a video game no we didn't have video games we did have those handheld ones that we would take to swim meets because there's mm. like such long breaks in between your events. So we would play like the Little Mermaid or Aladdin, like handheld, oh. like, and you'd like try to get to the highest levels. I think the Little Mermaid was my favorite one. You would scoop up like seashells and um, other items from the ocean floor. Do you have Tamagotchi <laughs> or anything like that? Um, briefly, briefly. Wasn't too into that craze though. How, how did it, I mean, was it, a, did you take good care of it? Um, I think maybe I just borrowed a friend's for a day. I don't think I saw it through the through to the end, Connor. Okay, so it's not still around is what you're saying. No, yeah, I, I think my parents deemed that a waste of time. Wisely, wisely <laughs> so, yes. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but... Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, get Creighton, you don't watch Creighton. They play. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, going to win. Not the Big East tournament? They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But, like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Cre- Creighton is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. that. Like, that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a, is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of those. And then those. Never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? See the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. 
It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation. And loss. They did not love themselves enough to know their HIV status, to not pass it on to me. To dreams achieved. Or still yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. We started a hospital-based violence intervention program called the IV Project, and it stands for Interrupting Violence in Youth and Young Adults. To those who have been left behind. But no one talks about the survivors of the gun violence, and the number is rising because the gun violence has risen. Politically. Financially. Emotionally. Spiritually. This is where we are. This is Blackland. And one of the things that my father said to me before he passed away, it's like almost like a prophecy. He said that I would be helping men. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. But economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? Why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Attention all you 20-somethings out there. Are you tired of pretending like you have it all figured out? Well, guess what? You're not alone. Get ready to embrace the chaos with the premiere of the fourth season of Crying in Public. Join me, your host, Sydney Winter, as I take the mic solo for the very first time. I'm here to share the good, the bad, and the downright awkward of navigating this crazy thing we call girlhood. Consider this your go-to guide for surviving your 20s with style and grace. Well, for the most part. From dissecting mysteries of modern dating to surviving and thriving in the daily grind of adulting, crying in public covers it all, and then some. So grab your headphones, because you're about to get real, raw, and a little ridiculous. And let's face it, life's too short to pretend like we've got it all together. It's time to embrace the chaos. So don't miss out on the laughs, the tears, and the inevitable existential crisis. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, what do we have for uh, topic number four? The Players Coalition sent a letter to both the Attorney General and Director of the FBI demanding a formal investigation into the death of Ahmaud Arbery. Notably, the letter was signed by Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady, who has made a career out of sidestepping major non-football-related issues. Is this a significant step in the bargaining power wielded by the coalition? I think so, right? Yeah, I thought it was... Anquan Bolden went on ESPN, and he's one of the leaders of the Players Coalition. He was asked about the significance of it, and I I thought it was notable. He, He made the point that Brady has not really entered into that realm and hasn't used his platform in that way and that they were they thought it was significant having a player like him 
sign on to it. It's a couple months, weeks ago, whatever the timeline is, Connor, you know, we talked about some of Brady's comments on the Howard Stern show, where he said he, he didn't see race and how that was kind of a privileged point of view. And so I think this was a, a different kind of step that it was refreshing to see him make. And I think it shouldn't be, the onus shouldn't be on black players. It shouldn't be on people of color in our society to address issues of racial injustice. Um, and I think allyship is so important you know, when I did the sports person story on Megan Rapinoe, I connected with this woman, Jen Fry, who had like randomly run into Megan in an airport. It was actually like right after I interviewed Megan and um, Jen ran into her. They were in Delta Lounge and she introduced herself. Jen is a social justice consultant. She speaks to a lot of college sports teams and she introduced herself and left. And then Megan came back and said to her like, uh, how can I best be a white ally? And they had a conversation about that. And Jen was saying that that was so important because when you leverage your own position and, and you, you're willing to make yourself uncomfortable for an issue that you're not the target of, that that's when the most change can happen. And so Jen actually had a webinar this past weekend about Ahmaud Arbery and addressing whiteness and how do you how do you reconcile that and how do you address your own whiteness and your own sense of white privilege and um how do you be anti-racist like how do you actively take steps to combat racism in our society and her point was you're either racist or you're anti-racist you know you either have these views or you're actively working to change these views and i thought that was a really important way to think about it i, I certainly learned a lot hearing from her perspective and uh, i think this was an example of that right adding your name to the petition you know taking it a step further um showing that you're willing to support the cause of racial injustice and willing to you add your name to that is a, is a much better statement than saying you don't see race. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think uh, regardless, it's one thing to say that, um, you know, and we've seen this in various experiences throughout uh, any different things, but to actually put your name on a piece of paper and say, this is what I believe is far different than tweeting about or going on Howard Stern or, you know, any other thing and saying, hey, this isn't right. This isn't cool, you know? And so I think that that's a good step. And certainly is a player with a relationship with the president so you know i mean if if this is something that can help tip the scales in any way shape or form and at least bolster the power of the players coalition that they've already dug out for themselves i think that that's all a good thing you know i think as long as the story too isn't about tom brady doing this you know i right. think that that's something that you know we're all going to have to be careful of stepping in but i think that it's fine now to be discussing the fact that hey this is good and unusual that he's making this step yeah and definitely like uh, deferring to anquan bolden's perspective on that I thought what he said made a lot of sense. And, you know, he, he stated it as, as being significant and they've been working on their efforts through the Players Coalition for several years now. And I think trying to bring a broad place of uh, group of players in of, of all races, of all ages, of all standings in the league. And so, yeah, I thought um, it was a great effort across the board and good also to see that the onus is not entirely on athletes of color.
Yeah. All right. Uh, topic number five, former coworker, best friend, eternal king, Jonathan Jones penned a wonderful story over on CBSSports.com about the future of advertising and what the league could do in a fanless environment. Jenny, do you think that we could see advertising um, in places we've never seen it before? And how might that change the way that we view the NFL on television? Great story by our, our buddy Jonathan Jones. Yeah, I think it was a really smart look at how the NFL can make up for some of the lost revenue if you're playing with reduced fans or no fans. And the idea that there have been efforts or at least people have wondered, will the NFL make the step to, you know, if you go to a game in the UK, right, you see the banners all around the field. There's advertising, the digital banners that switch ads. Um, Certainly in other sports, you see patches on uniforms, which you see on practice uniforms in the NFL, but not game day uniforms. So I think what Jonathan had reported from people around the NFL is that there are ways like that in which they can find new revenue streams that maybe there had been some resistance to in the past. Now they will tap into those revenue streams. People will not object because everyone wants sports back. And so I think they want leagues to be viable and that would make sense. But I think once you go, once you start doing that, then it's just going to be a permanent fixture after the pandemic. And uh, I think um, I think it was Darren Gant over at Pro Football Talk that made an interesting observation, actually, about the Rams uniforms in general, that uh, the patch on the right side of the shoulder that just says Los Angeles Rams is one of those first steps at getting us used to the idea that, hey, we're going to be sticking ads all over this. It's going to look like a NASCAR by the time we're done with these guys, you know, and just get used to it. Yeah, because the opposition to it has been what? Okay, it looks cheap or looks cheesy or looks dumb, whatever the case may be. But certainly people would be willing to have any kind of uniform on the field um, in 2020. So um, but yeah, like that's where the patches on practice uniforms, like I'm thinking of the Jets, for example, they have the uh, Optimum Health or what is it? Opt- I think they're Atlantic Health. Atlantic Health. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm mixing yeah. I'm mixing things together. Thanks, Connor. The Giants probably have like they've got Quest Diagnostics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? It's funny. I actually have a little teaching aid right here. Um, not that not a teaching aid because you already know what this is, but. I'm a big fan of Premier League uniforms, and I have uh, Paris Saint Germain with me right now. And like, I mean, the crux of the uniform is it, it says "Fly Emirates" in giant letters, and then only this size it says, you know, Paris Saint Germain. You know, so right. it's, it's like one of those things that it, in Europe they've been used to this for years, where the the actual context of the uniform is just a massive advertisement. Totally. And I remember going to a game in London for the first time and seeing the wraparound ad around the field and being like, oh, it's only a matter of time. But that was, I guess, 2014, maybe that I went to a game in London. So it still hasn't come. But I think now is the time, Connor. Do you have a do you have a Premier League team that like do you have a favorite Premier League team? Um, no, I had a friend who was a big Liverpool fan. So we had gone to a Liverpool bar in New York one time for mm. a Premier League match at like 10 a.m. or something. So I guess that's the only affiliation. Although, actually, I did go to a game. I went to a game when I was in London for this NFL game. I, there was a, a match the night before. It was Tottenham 
arsenal. And I remember Ooh. asking to go and they were like, yeah, just make sure that you like use your press pass though, because this is like a big derby, right? Is it a derby between the teams? I think it's a derby. Oh my gosh, I'm butchering this. We're going to have some international listeners that are going to think I sound really dumb. No. But anyways, I had asked the NFL UK if I could get a press pass to go to this game because my my whole story was about the NFL building a foothold in the UK and I wanted to compare it to a Premier League match and uh, it was the night before the NFL game and they were all like this is a huge match like if you have a seat on press row and you don't attend like it would be like not attending a playoff game or something (laughs) so I was there I enjoyed it and it was a crazy atmosphere it is my understanding that Arsenal and Tottenham are are like big um, uh, rivals, right? Yes, I, that's and why I think that's like a neighborhood derby or something. My sister and her husband are well. My sister's husband is uh, is English and is a big Arsenal fan. And when we first, uh, her and her husband first started dating, she would go over there and she would say, well, "What do you want?" And I would say, yeah, "Just pick out some fun." Premier League uniforms and bring them back. And I started to kind of build up a little collection of them. And so I would go through the year before and I would look up the new kits for the upcoming year. And I said, oh, this team Tottenham has cool uniforms. And she's like, I, I'm sorry, uh, I, I can't do it. We're just, we're not allowed to buy those um, uh, where where he lives. And just, uh, it's almost like a religious thing. Like we're just not allowed to purchase those. You're not allowed to root for that team. And so I had to fall in line there and just uh, sort of support it. That's great. Yeah, they do have great uniforms. It's kind of it sounds like the time that my sister's boyfriend arrived in New York City wearing a Red Sox jersey, and I was like, ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, do you have anything else that you could wear in your suitcase? So, Tottenham, very similar to sort of a Penn State, they had a Penn State vibe, especially this year, that classic navy and white. Maybe you're drawn to that subconsciously. Yeah, you I know, don't know I what like, their color was when you were out there, though. Could have been different. Like a lighter blue, maybe? I'm not sure. Mm. It's really trying to not butcher this memory, but I really enjoyed the match, and it was my first Premier League experience, so I I enjoyed that, Connor. Here at the weak side, pro dimes, pro football, pro soccer. So Definitely pro soccer, but uh, not the most knowledgeable. <laughs> um, okay, so it's time for everybody's uh, favorite, the Oracle and the Frentis Consensus, and um, I'm sort of making a observation at what I see coming um, down the pike here, and uh, this is, so a couple weeks ago I gave you a spicy gambling tip, uh, this week I'm going to give you an even spicier fantasy football tip so here's my uh, my oracle's fantasy football focus great this year. and i'm doing this uh despite the fact that jenny and i are competitors against one another uh in a very high profile uh cutthroat league and but i'm, I'm comfortable in uh, just sort of divulging this information because you know it's it's important for all of you out there to know it too it's definitely a cutthroat league i might draft <laughs> this player if i can get ahead of you to do so Well, my uh, advice to you would be uh, to not do this because it's my understanding, and this is based on some inside information that I have, that Kyler Murray will be one of the first three or four quarterbacks taken in a lot of your leagues, and he will go way, way, way sooner than you think he's going to go. I think that he's going to be a player whose average draft position is miles higher than you think. And uh, yeah, I've I've got this on, uh, even though I guess it's based on human behavior, so we don't know whether that's going to happen or not. I have a pretty good idea that that is what's going to happen. 
Have you polled our league? No, but I do have uh, some connections at the Sports Illustrated Fantasy Football issue, which is coming out soon. So, interesting, yeah. interesting. Just a little, just a little pop, not only for the issue, uh, but uh, also for the inside info that's in there. Definitely check that out. But um, okay, and I will. Uh, I'm not sure exactly if there is a smoke screen here, like if you're trying to get me to draft Kyler Murray high, like by telling me not to and that, but that it's going to happen anyway. Um, I'm just going to pretend like I didn't hear this piece of information and operate totally blind to it. Sure. That's, that's the way you could go, you know? Yeah. (laughs) What about our Ventus consensus for today? All right. I was watching NFL network yesterday And they dropped a little nugget that Lamar Jackson's pregame meal is shrimp Alfredo. Ooh. And I thought, this is not a great choice. Now, I'm certainly not going to question anything Lamar Jackson does before games because he's a remarkable player. But I have my own experience as a, you know, low-level amateur athlete uh, where I would eat fettuccine Alfredo before swim meets. Until we were in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, and I was about to swim the 100-meter butterfly, I believe, and I uh, puked behind the blocks. And we decided it was likely the fettuccine Alfredo the night before. So from that point on, I was not allowed to order fettuccine Alfredo before swim meets. You know, the whole thing was carb loading, right? Mm-hmm. But we determined that the like heavy cream was probably not good. So I'm like extraordinarily surprised that Lamar Jackson is as fast as he is on the football field after having eaten shrimp Alfredo. Yeah, that's... um. That's interesting. Was it always like, would you guys travel and you would eat fettuccine Alfredo kind of wherever it was? Or did your mom make fettuccine Alfredo or your dad make fettuccine Alfredo the, the night before for you? This was when we were traveling for meat. So we were like staying in a hotel. And so Olive Garden was the choice because you had a carb load and there's Olive Gardens everywhere. So it just became like a, you pick a local or not, not a local, but you pick up pasta place near your hotel so generally it was just kind of the olive garden did you ever uh i I know this is like always uh uncertain waters to wade into but you're familiar with the office the television program right (laughs) i am i am okay there was an episode of the office um where they run a charitable 5k and the boss brags about uh carbo loading and eats fettuccine alfredo from a scranton based restaurant that i have been on a date, uh, too. Oh, boy. Uh, They're just really hitting all the markers here. Jenny's swimming career, Connor's prolific dating <laughs> life. Keep going. <laughs> but he eats uh, fettuccine Alfredo from Alfredo's, but does it like seconds before the race because he's an idiot. And then he throws up in, in, in the middle of the race. That was actually like the plot of a popular television show. Wow. Who yeah. knew? I, I had not seen that episode. I have seen a few episodes, but I have not seen that one. But yes, it's as if they wrote a show. Maybe one of the people who wrote that show, given that the office is set in Pennsylvania. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Maybe someone was there the day I threw up, and that really is what spurred the Stuck show. With them. Yeah, we should really dig t- deep into the bottom of this. Also, you can't refer to your athletic career as not as prolific as my dating career because you're still a record holder. Right, you're right, still like right. that is quite prolific. It is the it is the most prolific that you could be. Isn't yeah, athlete? we're really uh, we're really clinging to this one measure here, Connor. But I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate the effort, Connor. 
Anytime I do, I, you know, but I am impressed. And as soon as the coronavirus is lifted, I am going to make a pilgrimage to the uh, record site so I can see it myself. Wow. Very excited. Wow. Yeah. We'll have to wait till the pools open, which who knows when that will be, but mm-hmm. you never know. Here at the Weekside Podcast, we support each other, except for when it's me making fun of Connor's digitized camel hat. <laughs> Generally, I'm a supportive colleague. I just don't always approve of his fashion choices. So, And, and with good reason. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, the, the hat was out on a limb. I went out on a limb there. Well, thanks for joining us again this week. The MMQB Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is Director of Editorial Projects and Product. Mark Moravik is Emeritus Executive Director of the MMQB. Keep up with our entire lineup of podcasts five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, fellow 20-somethings. It's your girl, Sydney Winter. And guess what? The wait is finally over. Season four of Crying in Public is here, and I'm flying solo for the very first time. That's right. No co-host to rein me in. Just me, myself, and the mic. From relationships to careers and all the awkward encounters in between, we're covering it all. So mark your calendars and set your reminders because Crying in Public is dropping its juiciest season yet. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nazi V2 was a rocket-powered bomb travelling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V2 come into existence, and why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.